Before I start today's episode, I have to say a couple things. First, we talk about drug use and other adult themes in this episode. May not be the best thing for small children to listen to. Secondly, I did a lot more experimenting with this episode than with the last several. Branching out into different types of microphones and different setups, etc., etc. The downside to that is that some of the audio is a bit scratchy, because I don't really know what I'm doing yet. I'm still figuring it out. On a final note, there is some cursing in one of the interviews that I do, but it has been censored out. I only bring this up because I didn't want to do the normal censor sound, so I did a wacky instead, but people found it startling when I tested the episode in a test audience, so... Heads up for the sounds. That's a sensor blocking out a bad word. Thank you for your patience, and I hope you enjoy the show. So it was just after the new year. I'd come home from a concert in Nashville. I had originally planned to take the drugs at the concert. But I changed my mind because I didn't want to pay for a hotel room. I was doing this interview with a friend of mine who wished to remain anonymous. Something he said at the end of the interview sparked a question that led to this episode. So after the show, I just came back home to my parents' house. I put the drugs on a piece of gum, six drops. I went for a walk whenever the effects started to set in. And there was this one moment I remember. I was going up the gray pavement of a hill on an old country road. And the birds were flying and singing around me. It was unusually warm for this time of year. I come up the top of the hill. And when I get up to the crest, a field comes into view. I can see... I can see the wind blowing the yellow grass. I can see the birds flying through the air and then onto the trees and all of the branches of the trees that lined the field and how they danced with the wind and how the birds rode the currents of the wind. In that moment, I felt a profound realization of the real connectedness of all of life on this planet. Everything in the universe is all connected by a chain of cause and effects. And in that moment, on about 600 micrograms of LSD, I saw that chain. I saw the oneness of the universe. And it changed my life. next hour as we contemplate the confounding. In today's episode, we'll pull on a thread of questions connecting medical ethics, illegal psychedelic drugs, and Buddhist philosophy in an attempt to unravel the mystery of how much really separates us from each other and from the rest of the world around us. There are no easy answers here. This is imperfect clarity. I'm sure you've heard this kind of thing before. 
one with the universe. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? In what sense can we all be one? Is this guy overthinking things? Or is there some real practical implication to deeply absorbing that oft-quoted truism that everything is connected? We've all heard of the butterfly effect. Right, you've seen that movie. It's an interesting and wise old proverb. But where can we draw the line to separate insight on the far-reaching consequences of our actions from foolish grandiosity and pseudo-spiritualism? Are we all really one, or is it just the acid making you think that, buddy? And if we are, what does that mean for how we treat each other? I want to feel this question. I want to... I want to really feel and experience this oneness the way my friend was talking about. But I kind of feel like I shouldn't just jump into taking illegal drugs on a podcast. So maybe I should get another point of view. Okay, I guess um, I was talking to this girl and I remember I could see her, bro. She was, she was like wearing this red flannel shirt and it was so red dude it was like angry red it was crazy that's the you know that's about the last that's about the last same thing i remember happening this is kirk he's a good buddy of mine we've known each other for a few years just before i met him though he had quite a different experience with psychedelic drugs because i remember um i dropped my buddy off because he said he wasn't feeling well and uh I had her drive because I was already, you know, like, kind of drunk just a little bit, and I didn't want to, like, you know, drive. So uh, after we got back from dropping him off, I remember walking in the door, and my legs just turned into, like, pudding, dude. And I just fell against the wall and started laughing, like, with this, I don't know, the grin on my face while I was talking to her really big asshole and I could tell she was mad throughout thought process that was justified and made sense for some reason but I can't really remember what my thought process was I know it was jumping off the walls and like it was shocking like just the way that I was I was thinking about things and like it was it's like, you know, it felt like I was thinking like I was drunk, you know, like, like, like a caveman or something, you know. I remember I tried to lay on the couch and just like relax because I could tell it was getting intense when I was against the wall. And uh, I tried to play some music, but my body just wouldn't let me. Like, I kept fading in and out. Like, I would just black out for like half a second, then I'd be where for half a second it just kept going on and on and eventually just lay down and close my eyes and I remember I kept seeing flashes of of uh, like um, alien language and like Egyptian geometry kind of that's the only way I could really describe it but it was really alien looking it was very weird and um, I don't know it just got me thinking about all kinds of crazy stuff that I you know already been interested in before this you know 
before I done that, like I'm already interested in that kind of shit. So you know, it just kind of made me question things. You know, why are things the way they are? You know, why has it got to be this way? It's like my understanding of why things had to be that way led me into a thought loop, and it made sense to me because like I had already you know kind of believed those things before I even took the drug. You know, but like I said, then I was thinking really, really wonk. God and creation and things like that and why and uh, I don't know man I feel like I got some kind of answer but I really don't remember that's when things got really bad and yeah I remember being on my knees and, uh, I was in like a fetal position man and I was in I was wearing my shorts I then took all my other clothes off and uh, I closed my eyes and I was just surrounded by like space and fireworks and like kinds of crazy looking shit that like doesn't even I don't even know how to put it, it doesn't even like look like anything it's just, it's weird to explain it's, I don't know, but I remember that I got some kind of answer or that I was going mad from the thought loop because the answer was just the question Kirk had a pretty bad trip after this when the cops finally came and got him, he had smashed up his whole apartment. Since I've known him, he's been on probation because of this night. That one night, that one night was like it for me, dude. Like. I've never, I'm never the same when I trip. It's definitely like had a, had a, an impact in my life, but not one that I would say is very positive. I mean, I guess, you know, I, I feel like I know more, you know, but I feel like it is a very great expense. I wanted to get Kirk's take on the profound realizations that my other friend had told me about because this idea captured me. It stuck in my consciousness like an earworm. A thought that wouldn't stop cycling through my day. What is it that this guy realized high as a kite on acid? And why can't I stop thinking about this idea? I started reading about things like Arthur Schopenhauer's idea that the reality around us is one single will and that we are representations of this will. A will that is ceaselessly striving, striving against itself. I thought about the Buddhist Dharmakaya of emptiness and the idea that this thin veneer that separates the self from the rest of the reality around us is in fact so thin that it's non-existent that the true enlightened body of the Buddha is actually emptiness, that there is no separation of the self from the universe around you.
As Kirk would say, this is all pretty wonky talk. I wondered if it was really just the drugs that made people think like this. I had talked about psychedelics with Kirk before. It is something that interests me, and we are pretty good friends and have similar interests. So I knew that he had had some pretty negative experiences with psychedelic drugs in the past. And I wondered if he would have a different perception of their usefulness and whether or not the apparent profundity of these wonky thoughts was actually in any way legitimate. Profound realizations that people experience on them. Do you think it's just like a dream? I think that our minds are so complex, man, that we can have ideas and that we can change those ideas. And we can make reality whatever we want it to be. You know? So, you know, if, if, if somebody is in the right, you know, conditions to, I don't know, visualize something amazing, you know, that would change their life, like, I think all that stuff is just, uh, it's just your, your mind stretching out, man. It's just, you know, showing you poor It's not, I don't feel like it's, anything to really take from it like if, if you if you drink about a bunch of ayahuasca and you know like mother ayahuasca comes to you and and tells you all these wonderful things and you know all this stuff I mean that sounds good on paper but it, I feel like that's just your mind telling stories it's just your like if you you're trying to see something you know what I'm saying like I feel like nobody drinks it and is like, all right, I don't expect to see anything at all, you know? Mm -hmm. Their mind's already programmed to see things, so it's going to use the, the, the information that it has, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's on anything. I mean, even stuff like salvia that's just so crazy, like the stories I've heard about people who smoke salvia sounds out of this world, but like, you know, like, I heard this one story about a guy who smoked some and then he, he said he, he just like opened his eyes and he had like all these memories of being in a toy box like and like he was on a shelf in a toy store but he was like aware and like looking around you know and so he just like saw this family coming by him and he remembers like getting played with and, and getting thrown away and, and ending up in a landfill and all this stuff and, and then there was more stuff that happened after that like all kinds of crazy shit I can't even remember but you know like <clears throat> we all know what a toy store is right we all know what a we all know what toys are we all know that kids play with toys and then they don't you know like and that was basically you know like that was just was mine. Watch Toy Story. Right, you know, like, and your your mind will make stuff up that doesn't look anything like it, man, because it, it's made connections with these things. You know, like, you look at a, a like with Toy Story, man, you look at a, a, um, a bed in that movie, right, a bed in, like, a kid's room, right, well, that doesn't look exactly like that, you know, that's digital art or whatever. Your mind makes the connections to the things in the real world, and it plays with that you know, and maybe all kinds of other stuff. I think it's something that needs to be studied. I think it has benefits on people. I mean, it's such a, you know, they're all, if you take something like LSD, man, it's such a, such a bizarre thing, you know, what it does to you. It's 
shows you all these things that appear to be around you all the time, but they're really not. Or maybe they really are. You know, maybe it lets you see things. Maybe we don't know this kind of stuff because we don't know study it. You know, like, <clears throat> that's why, that's kind of why, you know, you're asking me that, these questions. You know, we don't study this kind of shit. Even Kirk felt that there was something about psychedelics that opens the mind to new sorts of ideas. He used an interesting phrase, the mind stretching out. A picture of brain shaped like a cat, spreading its toes and squinching its face as it gets that lazy stretch out. Although Kirk doesn't necessarily think that the kind of insights one may gain from psychedelics are valuable, or that most cases of quote profound insight lead to anything but nihilism and despair. Even he feels like he knows more after taking the drugs. Still, he doesn't advocate them, and neither do I, because of the high cost. Perhaps I can find the same insights elsewhere. So I grab my phone, and I look up videos of Buddhist teachers talking about no self and emptiness. But that kind of confused me. I began to feel a bit overwhelmed. So I got my telescope out of the shed and set it up. It's about 9 in the morning, so I'm bird watching. I see a beautiful male cardinal on a small branch of a flowering purple tree. I watch the bird for a while, and I think about the forces that connect all of us. I think about the fact that the bird and I are breathing pretty much the same air. I think about what I would usually be doing at 9 a.m. And I wonder, do they have cardinals in China? In December 2019, China reported an outbreak that likely originated in a market in Wuhan. They started calling it coronavirus as it spread. It was SARS too, but it spread faster and farther than SARS. On March 11, 2020, the WHO declared the outbreak a pandemic. I know this will date this show, but right now I have to say that I don't know the end of the COVID-19 story because I'm still in the middle of it. It's early April 2020 and I'm at home, finally finding time to make this podcast episode because I was laid off from work when the coronavirus crashed the American economy. So I don't know what will happen next, but I do know that what has already happened demonstrates a bit of what I'm trying to get at with this idea of deep interconnectedness. A guy buys an animal in China, and I end up sitting here watching a bird on the other side of the world. As I think about the virus and my small part that I play in this global crisis, and where my small part is in this big universe, I realize that this question of the nature of the cosmos at large is really a question about us individually and where we stand within it. With viruses still on my brain, I think about DNA. And this reminds me of an interesting story that may help us examine this question of what exactly is the self. If you are working with human tissue that was cultured in a lab, chances are good you're working with HeLa cells. HeLa cells are a particular strain of human cells that are hardy enough to be grown in labs. 
They exist in huge quantities, tons, all around the globe. HeLa cells have even been in space. At one time, however, HeLa cells only existed in one place, in a 31-year-old black woman named Henrietta Lacks. In August of 1951, Henrietta went to John Hopkins Hospital complaining of severe abdominal pain. As it turned out, she had cervical cancer. In the 1950s, the state of treatment for cancer was nothing like today's. Scientists knew next to nothing about cancer and had very few effective options for studying treatments. Part of why this was the case had to do with the difficulty in growing human cells in a lab for study. You see, human cells are sensitive. Growing them outside of a body is extremely difficult. So much so that researchers spent more time trying to keep the cells they were working with alive than actually conducting research. One doctor, George Gay, was researching this very problem at Johns Hopkins when Henrietta Lacks was treated there. He received a sample of Henrietta's tumor and began attempting to culture it in a dish. This was pretty standard procedure at the time. In return for their treatment, patients would submit samples for study at the research center. Here's the rub, though. Nobody told Henrietta that she was submitting any sample for research. Nobody ever got her permission, nor permission from any other patients from whom samples were taken, for that matter. It was standard procedure to take a sample of, say, a tumor, and use it to try and treat the patient while also taking a second sample purely for research purposes and never mention any of this to the patient. Mrs. Lax died in agony a few months after entering the hospital. Her cells, however, grew like crabgrass according to one of the researchers handling them. The cells were given an abbreviated name of their quote-unquote donor and a Fritos factory was converted into a HeLa cell factory. You can now purchase some of Henrietta's cells from a 1-800 number. You can also rest assured that your children won't die of polio. You can have an artist clone a glowing bunny rabbit. You can take drugs to treat HIV if you're unfortunate enough to have contracted the virus. You can even find out where your ancestors are from by selling some of your own DNA to companies that send you these little swabs in the mail. All of this is thanks to research done with HeLa cells. So it's clear that HeLa cells have contributed to saving countless lives and improving countless more, but it's also clear that taking the cells without Henrietta's permission was still wrong. Today, that would be illegal. But why? Who was wronged here? Is it Henrietta that was being researched? Was Mrs. Lax coterminous with the cells inside of her body? With the DNA inside of them? I suppose one could say that the cells were no longer a part of Henrietta once they left her body, but if that's the case, then in what way was Henrietta Lacks wronged? You may think she and her descendants deserve recognition for her contribution to this discovery, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. But I'm asking, why? 
The reason is, she deserved the right to grant the sample, rather than having it taken without her knowledge. Should Henrietta, however, be able to choose what happens to her cells, considering the fact she's not a scientist, she's not a doctor, she doesn't know how it could help people? Why is it that her consent makes such a difference in this situation? If the cells aren't a part of her, are they a possession of hers? Is that where this is? Is this like property law? But if that's the case, what was the value to Henrietta of that sample? I mean, it was the worst thing in the world to her. It was part of her tumor. She wanted to get rid of it. Had she not allowed the doctors to take the sample, what would she have done with it? This notion of ownership being at the heart of this isn't quite right, but it's close. It feels close. Maybe it was more just the idea of consent itself that's important. An idea that lived on in those HeLa cells and that made them continue to be a part of Henrietta. It was an idea that was not allowed to become real, that was never allowed to be born. It was the idea that she would have consented anyway that she would have been willing to help all those people if she had but known that she could. If she had given this idea life, it would have lived briefly and brightly and died along with Henrietta. But instead, its absence calls to every mind that can conceive of the idea of their own. It's hard as hell to put a finger on what harm was actually done to her physically by not getting her permission. It's because the harm was all done in the realm of abstract ideas. But this doesn't make them any less potent, any less real to us human beings. See, we thrive on abstract ideas. We live on stories. We think and act and live in a story. Our life is a story in our minds, and the main character is the self. Henrietta's self is connected with the story in our minds of the HeLa cells, and that is connected with the story of anyone who ever benefited from medicine discovered with the help of these HeLa cells cancer treatments, vaccines, gene therapies, all sorts of stuff gets tied into this story. When we consider the abstract realm of ideas to be as concrete as the realm of the physical world around us, which to human beings often it is, the interconnectedness starts to become pretty apparent. Is this really the answer that we're looking for though? No. No, this virus is real. I'm really here without my primary income and scared to death of catching a very real disease. That's a connection. The abstract realm holds many threads of connections between myself and the people of Wuhan as well, though. 
we fear many of the same things. We long for many of the same things. And these connections are stronger, yes, but it's still not oneness. Myself, Aaron Bradford, is different than those ideas that connect me to those selves in China. Myself is different than those ideas. Or is it? One day, a man named Donald Davison took a hike through a swamp. Something amazing happened on that hike. A bolt of lightning struck Davidson and killed him. In the very same instant, a patch of the swamp was hit by lightning. Through some astoundingly complex and mind-boggling chemistry, the molecules of the swamp muck were rearranged by the sudden jolt of electricity and they settled into a perfect replica of Donald Davidson, down to the very last molecule. Obviously, this didn't really happen to Mr. Davidson. This was a hike that he took in his mind, as a thought experiment. The question is, would the replica Davidson now behave like the original that died? Presumably, if every single molecule was replicated perfectly, this would include the molecules of the brain. The replica would come into being mid-thought, finishing the train of thought that the original Davidson was on. He would presumably continue his hike, return home, and live out his life like nothing happened. This thought experiment was designed to take a hard look at the notion of the self. The 1987 paper it was published in was called Knowing One's Own Mind. If Donald 2 left the swamp thinking and acting just like Donald 1 would have, then what is it that he took from Donald 1 that would allow this? The real Donald Davidson argued that it would all be a sham, that there would be a difference between the replica and the original no matter how much the replica behaved like the real deal. He said that the replica would be unable to recognize the original's friends and family even if it acted like it knew them and greeted them like nothing was wrong. He said, quote, it can't recognize anything because it never cognized in the first place, end quote. He conjectured that even the words and ideas the replica had could not refer or be connected back to anything since the replica itself had never experienced anything, and that this rendered his words and thoughts meaningless. Of course, this thought experiment could never happen, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? It's absurd to imagine a thought or a word that are so meaningless and lack any reference whatsoever. By contrast, the Swamp Man shows us that what is absurd is the lack of experience in the physical world. 
No physical experience, no frame of reference, no self. Our self is our experiences. It's traditions we learn by watching our parents. It's joke we learn laughing with friends. It's fears we learn from pain in our physical bodies. These things are fundamentally connected with some people. People who influenced us. People who love us. But that's not the world. What happens when we take a look at these fundamental attributes of ourselves, our traditions, our beliefs, our values, in the context of perfect strangers, and even people we never met? I wanted to get another person's perspective again. I wanted to talk to someone whose values and core beliefs that make up their person rubbed right up against the world of complete strangers every day. So what do we call you? Ann. And what do you do, Ann? I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for over 35 years. I've worked in the ER forever. Why did you uh, choose to do that? Why did you become a nurse? Well, I guess I've always been a caregiver. Even when I was a kid, um, I always liked fixing things, fixing situations, fixing people, um, attending to people. You know, I think it's kind of common. Would you say that uh, your job gives you a unique view on humanity, on people's lives? I think um, not all nurses, but most nurses see people at some of the worst moments in their lives. They're sick, they're dying, a family's dying, they've been injured, you know, something. And I think that does open a window. I mean, some nurses just see people at their best when they're having babies or that kind of thing. But just because of the, the situations we're in with patients a lot, I think it does give us a window that not everybody else gets to see. Any kind of connection. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know, that doesn't mean that we connect with everybody because um, when you connect with somebody, um, it's kind of a two-way road. The person that you are connecting with has to be open to the possibility or, or you know, open enough to share a moment. Um, to making a connection. I, I would imagine you talk about that two-way road. I imagine that you see a lot of like suffering, a lot of hardship. I would think that that would get kind of draining on you too. Sometimes it can. Um, it can be both frustrating and draining, and it can be rewarding um, to help someone improve their situation um, to see them get better um, can be very rewarding 
That doesn't mean I don't ever fall apart or cry, because sometimes I do. But I know at the end of the day, if I've done the best I can for each of my patients, that's all you can really ask. You know, when you have a patient, you know, I may have a patient that had a particularly tough time and I connected with them and they improved. And I may not see them for years and then they come back for something else and they recognize you and they remember what they went through. It can be especially rewarding to know that you made a connection and that you made a difference for somebody. And it's not just me making a difference for them. Um, every patient that I have affects me in some way. So I can be growing from the interaction as well as, as the patient. I imagine that there are a lot of people out there now that um, feel like they have a hard time connecting with anyone with the whole social distancing thing that's going on. Um, and especially healthcare workers who, you know, see the, uh, the worst end of it. Do you have anything that you might want to say to them? Persevere. You know, reach out. You don't have to see someone in person to connect with them. You know, you can call them, chat on FaceTime or text them, whatever. Um, you don't have to be holding their hand to actually connect with them. Um, and I lay on God, you know, I think God is my source of, of strength. I've been through many things in my life and he's helped me through every one of them. And I think that that's a, a good source now. My career is the chosen path that God has for me to show his love and to minister to other people. Anne's the second person to mention God, but this isn't a podcast about religion. Still, there is something deeply spiritual about this question. If our most deeply held values and beliefs are what make us who we are, and we're talking about those values being shared with other people, then obviously religion will play a huge role in this experience of oneness. But it seems to me that if we were to look at a global scale, religion is more divisive than unifying. Every religion thinks that they know the right way to go about their life, and this sets them apart from other people. However, a big part of spiritual beliefs is a compassion and connectedness with even strangers, a love for your enemy and your neighbor. I'm not going to talk about God too much on this show. And I'm not going to try and advocate one religion over another. Because I don't think that any of them know the right answer. I don't think there is a right answer. Maybe it's just asking the question that's important. Maybe it's just feeling that empathy. Having compassion. Whatever ritual you use to center that compassion around is fine. Just as long as it ends in empathy.
this is all starting to get a little confusing and heavy. Like I said, this is not a podcast about religion. Let's back up. Go over what we've talked about so far. So I was talking with a friend of mine, and he was telling me about an acid trip that he had. He mentioned this idea of feeling connected with the whole of nature and all of humanity. A oneness with everything. And now I can't get this idea out of my head. Is it because our whole world feels somehow more connected and less connected now? There's this weird... There's this weird duality to our reality at the moment. Goings on on the other side of the world have affected us so dearly here at home. We don't go to work anymore. I've been drawing unemployment for two weeks now, and I've barely left the house. Connected but isolated. Whatever the reason, I can't get this idea out of my head. So I talked to another friend of mine, Kirk, to see if he experienced anything like this. And the answer was not really. Together we conclude that psychedelic drugs can help you to think in ways that you don't normally, but that they don't necessarily hold any hidden intrinsic wisdom. But this is good news because it means I don't have to find any illegal drugs in order to experience this oneness. So I thought about what the self is, and I decided that it's a culmination of our experiences that coalesce into our strongest and deepest held values and beliefs. So I suppose the next step in our little formula, self, one, universe, what does it mean to be one? Google defines one as a single person or thing viewed as taking the place of a group. This gets down to the heart of it, I think. That it's all a matter of perspective, really. Take the air we breathe as an example. We look at the air, the atmosphere, like it's one thing. But it's made up of about... 1.04 times 10 to the 44 molecules. When we take all of these molecules together and look at them as one unit, we call it the atmosphere. So what do we call it when we take all of human beliefs and values and all of human selves together and look at them as one unit? Spirituality? Society? Culture? This example of the air we breathe reminds me of something I've read before, that in every breath that we take, we breathe in a molecule that Leonardo da Vinci breathed, and also Jesus Christ, and Napoleon. Sam King, author of the book Caesar's Last Breath, in an interview he did with the BBC Science Focus magazine, said, quote, 
The story goes that in 44 BC in Rome, Julius Caesar was assassinated by a group of his own senators crumpling on the floor with a final gasp. This last breath contained about 25 sextillion, that's 25 followed by 21 zeros, air molecules, which would have spread around the globe in a couple years. A breath seems like such a small thing compared to the Earth's atmosphere, but remarkably, if you do the math, you'll find that roughly one molecule of Caesar's air will appear in your next breath. It's the same deal with the water that we drink. Our biosphere is so connected that we all depend on each other. We breathe the same air. We drink the same water. We absorb the same heat from the same sun. take a break and go outside. I hear those birds again and decide to try and draw one. It's not that great. Maybe because I'm thinking more about the trees that the paper came from and how planet Earth breathes with the trees in the seasons. I think about the journey that this piece of paper must have taken to get to me so I could scratch a bird-like thing onto it. I think about paper, and I think about toilet paper, and paper towels, and hand sanitizer, and all these things that suddenly have become priceless. As of this recording, the price of oil per barrel was negative. People were paying other people to take oil from them. But the stores that are open are consistently sold out of some few precious household items, like toilet paper. Think of all those people, all trying to buy the same thing at the same time. Think of how many other people must have the same brand of teepee that you do. One popular brand was bought by 76 million people in the US last year. According to Cora, quote, global toilet paper production consumes 27,000 trees daily. More than 7 billion rolls of toilet paper are sold yearly in the United States alone, end quote. Billions of rolls in one country alone. Millions of other people with the same stuff that you have. And that's just one thing. There's about 2 billion people out there with the same brand of furniture. One popular restaurant that many of you have likely eaten at recently has about 38,000 locations just like the one that you ate in. One popular technology brand many of you probably own has sold a billion units. The streaming service that I watch, as many of you probably happen to as well, has more than 160 million subscribers. 
These last two examples highlight another facet of global connectivity. If religion and culture is one way of approaching this worldwide bond, and biology is another, and economy yet another, the connection humanity has over the web feels like some sort of weird blend of all of these. From COVID-19 numbers and news about the upcoming election to helping my parents and my children figure out how to FaceTime each other, the internet has been at the very front and center in my life lately. I mean, it usually is, but even more so now. Zoom stock value has gone up almost 50% in the last three months. When we're stuck at home, what do we do to pass the time. Sure, we do some things like bird watching and drawing and whatnot, but we also stream movies and play video games, make podcasts. I don't have to expound on how the internet has connected the globe in unprecedented ways because everyone listening to this show is already keenly aware of that fact. But have any of you ever picked up your phone and Googled something? and then left the experience feeling at one with the world? Maybe some of you have for a second or two. Maybe that's all we get of this feeling. A second or two when we think about our place in this world. Who we are and how much the outside world shapes our inner lives. A second or two when we consider how many other people out there are living lives so much like ours? Do you know the word Sonder? It's a beautiful one. The realization that each passerby has a life as vivid and complex as your own. And every time you are polite to a cashier or you let a stranger over on the highway, you're impacting that other life in a small way. When we ponder on how much we all share this blue marble spinning in space, we can, for a moment, take in this, this feeling, this oneness. Let's just, let's just call it Yugen, another beautiful word that you may know. Yugen means an awareness of the universe that triggers an emotional response too deep and mysterious for words. You don't need drugs for this feeling to change your life. You just need to keep coming back to it. It's a way of thinking. If you're stuck in your house, reach out to people online or 
Go outside and watch the birds ride the same wind that dances through the trees and know that you're a part of that web too. I was thinking about how I want to end this episode last night. I went outside with my telescope to think. It was dark, so it was stars this time. I pointed the telescope at Venus. Our planetary neighbor was a bright and beautiful crescent in my eyepiece. I thought about why Venus looks like a crescent moon to us, and it's the same reason the moon is sometimes a crescent. It's the Earth's shadow. And that kind of just hit me. All of our shadows all adding up. A single unit meant to represent a group. One shadow. All adding up to blanket another world. Perhaps this feeling is ineffable. But that's what contemplating the confounding is about. Imperfect Clarity is produced, written, and recorded by me, Aaron Bradford. A special thanks to Crystal for helping me to make this crazy idea into an actual show for all of you out there in podcast land to enjoy. A special thanks to my friend who wished to remain anonymous, to Kirk, and to Anne for doing the interviews for this episode. If you enjoyed the show and would like to make a per-episode donation, go to our website, imperfectclaritypodcast.com, and click on the Patreon button.